Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I'm happy that you've joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. Confronting greedy rulers. Confronting greedy rulers. How do you witness? How do you stand for Christ? How do you be a citizen of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of justice and mercy and righteousness and fairness? How do you do that in a society that is run by greedy rulers? The truth of the matter is, in Africa, most of our countries really People get into politics so that they can be rich. Leaders are there to amass wealth as much as they can, isn't it? So, so how do you be, how can you be a witness in such a society? Well, the story that we've read about Ahab and Elijah reminds us that God forgives greedy rulers that are repentant. God forgives greedy rulers that are repentant. Four concepts to understand about how God forgives greedy rulers who, who, uh, so that we can effectively confront them. I want you to watch number one, the idolatry of greedy rulers. The idolatry of greedy rulers. Greedy rulers worship wealth and seek to amass things. That's the thing about greedy rulers. They worship wealth and they seek to amass things things. Watch verse number 1, chapter number 21 of First Kings. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have, my, I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I'll give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value in money. Now watch this. This is the king, right? He's in Jezreel. He has a palace there. This is the king of Israel. The capital of Israel is Samaria. In other words, he has a palace in Samaria, and he also has, now we're told, a palace in Jezreel. So he looks out of his palace, and next door to him is this vineyard of Naboth's. And this guy decides that, no, I want the vineyard of Naboth. I don't have enough. I want something more. See, when you're materialistic, when you make things to be your idol, you want to grab everything. You think the more that you have is, is, is what makes you better. So you watch yourself, you compare yourself with other people, you want more like other people have more. And even when you come to a place where you have everything, you still think you don't have enough. So the guy in the palace wants the vineyard. But I'm thinking if I'm the guy in the vineyard, owning the vineyard, I probably want the palace, isn't it? <laughs> Right? And so he says to him, listen, I want you neighbors to give me your vineyard. And here's what I want to do with your vineyard. I want to plant a vegetable garden. I, I don't think that's true. A vineyard, vegetables, what you saw, what you wanted was the vineyard. It's not the vegetables. There's no vegetables there for you to envy. But watch how envy starts. This is when you want something that God does not have for you in your destiny. And so he tells him, Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'll give you another, another patch of land. Or I'll give you money for it. 
Verse number three, but Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Hey, Naboth, what's wrong with you? This is the king, man. I mean, he, he's told you that he can give you a blank check. He can give you a blank check for your land and you can, you can take that money and find some other land, maybe twice as big somewhere, and so that you can have a bigger vineyard. Well, Naboth knows one thing. That the land that he has is not his land per se. It's a land that has been passed on to him by his fathers. In fact, it wasn't even his father's land. This was land that God had given to Israel. It was God's land. In fact, God had said to Joshua, listen, when you get into that land, you are going to apportion the land to the children of Israel by lots. You're going to cast lots. Why? Well, because it's my land. It's not your land. And the rule was, when you, for some reason, sold your land, the land had to return to you in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Because in the 50th year, there will be a return of all the lands to the original people that God had apportioned it to. See, the land was destiny for Naboth. It was the blessing of Naboth. It was the inheritance of Naboth. It was what God had bequeathed his forefathers. It was his destiny in the sense that God had said, I'm giving you this blessing and I expect you that from this place I will bless you and you do and fulfill all the things that I've called you to fulfill. This wasn't just about land. This wasn't just about money. This was about destiny. This about this ruler coming in and saying, listen, forget what God said about the destiny you have in your family. Forget everything that you've been told by God. You just look to me. I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to be the one that is going to control your destiny, in other words. Verse number four. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat. Depression. <laughs> we, why? Well, because he can't get what he wants. He's so consumed by what he wants that when he doesn't get what he wants, he gets depressed. Why? Because that's the number one thing in his life. The number one thing in his life is to acquire things. And there, is the, the, there cannot be anybody that can stand in his way and stop him from doing what he feels that he must do. For Naboth, Naboth is the one who is in charge. Amen. As far as he's concerned, he's the one who's in charge. And there's nobody that can ever tell him otherwise. But Naboth realizes that as a king of Israel, that he ultimately is accountable to God. In Deuteronomy chapter number 17, God gives the rules for kings. And he says the king should, must not acquire lands and lands for himself. That the king should not go down to Egypt and order horses and chariots and whatever. The king should not see himself as above his brothers. So Naboth understood that, okay, I mean, uh, Ahab understood that if Naboth had said, has said, no, there's nothing else I can do. But you see, the heart of Ahab is a heart for material things. Ahab is materialistic. And so along comes his wife, verse number five. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? 
And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for, your, for money, or else if it please you, I'll give another vineyard for it. And he answered, I'll not give you my vineyard. So Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Are you the one who's king? Are you the president? Come on. He says, Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now watch the difference there. For Jezebel, oh, the king is law. <laughs> For Jezebel, if you are the king, you can do whatever you want to do. For Jezebel, who is a foreigner to Israel and the God of Israel, no, the final law, the final say-so is actually the king. Ahab understands that, no, I'm not the final say-so. Ahab understands that I must go according to the rules of God. See, that's the trouble we have in Africa. Most of our countries, we have kings, we have rulers, we have people that think they are the final say. And that they can do whatever it is that they want to do. Listen, God did not put human beings in the earth to be ruled by every whim of a human being sinful human being. God did not put human beings in the earth to, 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 to be under rules that are unjust, laws that are unjust. That is not the plan of God. See, many times as Christians, we say stuff like, oh no, Christians are not supposed to be involved in politics. Come on. This is Elijah here coming to the king. This is Elijah here confronting the king. Why is he doing that? Why is God sending him to confront the king? Because God wants a just society. He wants us to live in peace. He wants there to be justice. He wants there to be equal opportunities for everybody. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about justice. It's about peace. It's about mercy. In fact, the prophet Micah, he says, But you know, O oh man, what is required of you, what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's for all men, for all human beings. That's the way that we ought to be. And so rulers are supposed to be those that bring about justice in society. But greedy rulers will want everything for themselves. Cash-gating. Remember cash-gating. Oh, you know, those people, they should be in jail. How about you? That is busy signing for allowances for seminars you never even went to. How about you that is busy bribing government officials so that you can get your way? No, God is against corruption. God is against all those things. God expects his people to be good citizens of the nations that he has set them in. Why? Because the rules, the laws of our kingdom are higher than the laws of Malawi or any other nation. And so we're expected that we live our lives on a very high ethical level. Why is it that we have so many people calling themselves Christians in Africa? In fact, businesses, El Shaddai Enterprises. <laughs> Jehovah Rapha minibuses. Jesus Saves Enterprises. How come with all this Jesus, Jesus, with all these prophets and all, all, all of us really going to church, how come it doesn't translate into just societies or societies that are prospering? How come? Well, we think 
that being a Christian is about going to heaven only. Being a Christian, yes, is about going to heaven, but living like a heavenly citizen down here. How do you live as a heavenly citizen in a society that is corrupt, in a society that's got all these greedy rulers? Oh, well, you must understand, number one, like I said, you must understand the idolatry of greedy rulers. Please, I know, I know, I know, I know you vote and you have a party and everything, and I respect you for your political party. And political parties are important because they basically are different ways, at least they're supposed to be, different ways of saying, look, this is what is going to make our society get better. And so another political party comes along and says, no, 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 let's look at it this way. Right? Th that's the way it's supposed to be. But ultimately, whatever political party that you're in, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And here's a question I ask all of, all of you political people. How are you, as a Christian, bringing about the justice and mercy and fairness into that political party? How are you transforming that political party to move it from a one-man one or big-man political system to move it into something that is going to be fair and just for everybody, for every Malawi? Think about that when you join your party and think in terms of, okay, here's, you know, there's no, there's no political party that doesn't have a big man, right, in Malawi? Pretty much. You have variations of the big man, but ultimately it's the big man. If that big man is like Ahab and he thinks himself to be above the law, you, as a Christian witness, are supposed to confront that. That's what is happening here. Here's a big man that thinks that he's above the law, that thinks that he can play around with people's lives and destinies, and so he wants to change things. Understand, first of all, the idolatry of greedy rulers. Number two, I want you to see the impunity of greedy rulers. Greedy rulers see themselves as above the law and will do as they please. Let's look again at verse number seven there. Is it verse number 8? It says, So he, she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters, the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him, and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and said, Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth, curse God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that, Naboth had been stoned and was dead. Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. Watch what's happening. You see, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. The human heart is very deceptive. You can come at a point of thinking that, no, you know, because I'm the president or because I am this, because I'm the father in this house, that I can do anything that I want to do. 
You can come at a point of, of mixing things up and starting to think that what you want is really the right thing and not what is fair for everybody. And that's where Jezebel has come to. Now remember again, Jezebel is a worshiper of the Baals and the Asherahs. Gods are about prosperity. You worship those gods so that those gods can prosper you. You worship those gods actually for you. You are worshiping those gods to give you things. In other words, if they didn't give you anything, you will not go to those gods. In other words, you're worshiping you. Because those gods are there to give you, to prosper you. Do you know in the church we, we, we prosperity gospel? And I think there's a difference between the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology. Prosperity gospel has, has, has made the gospel to be about prosperity. Prosperity theology is reminding us that God has prospered us so that we can do the things that he has called us to do. The fact that we're in Malawi, well, the, I don't know, the fourth poorest, fifth poorest nation, we usually fluctuate between number five and number two, right? The fact that you're in Malawi, the poorest nation, does not mean that you are not going to be able, by the power of God, to be part of a movement that's going to get this gospel to the ends of the world. No, prosperity theology reminds us God has given us everything we need to do what God has called us to do, which is to take this gospel to the ends of the world. So a prosperity theology is an empowering theology. In fact, a decolonizing theology. It takes away the colonial mindset that says, oh, you're from Malawi. And you cannot do anything. Amen. But we're talking about a prosperity gospel. One that has said that, listen, the reason you come to worship God, the reason you go to church is so that you can prosper. That is not right. And at the heart of Baal worship, at the heart of Asherah worship, at the heart of what Jezebel worships, it's prosperity. It's greed. Somebody said we've baptized greed and we've called it prosperity in the church. So watch this man. Watch this woman. What they worship, they have become that. So for them to kill somebody and to get things from that person that they have killed is no big deal. The fact that they're transgressing the law of God is not an issue. Why? Because these are a law unto themselves. There's nobody higher than them. Church, listen. When we come at a place where there's nobody higher than us or there's no laws higher than us, we're in big trouble. If we come at a church, if I come as a pastor, and I put myself up and that the word of God is, 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 is not as binding to me anymore. That I am above the word of God. That's trouble. That is trouble. There's not going to be the blessing of God in that. In 1966, January, 25th January actually, in the parliament of Malawi, they passed a law called the For Feature Act. Now, 1966, two years after 1964. 1964, September, November, somewhere around there, you have the cabinet crisis. Anybody remember cabinet crisis? So there, there are people that have run off from the Banda regime and everything. And 1966, this law, this For Feature Act, was really aimed at saying, anybody that had run away, we would like to ensure that we seize their property. In fact, it gave the minister blank check to declare somebody, somebody who was, had come against the government and so they could get their property. 
It was also, it is said, against those business people that were externalizing funds. That if you externalize, if you externalize funds, then that law was going to be used to grab all your property. Obviously, it was targeting people. Obviously, it wasn't a really great law. The unfortunate part, and this is a mark in our history, a sad one in our history, is that that was the law that was used to persecute the Jehovah's Witnesses so that their property was grabbed. And so probably if you're a Jehovah's Witnesses and you're doing well and stuff was working out for you, your neighbors didn't like the fact that you're prospering and everything, probably they'll go to the party chairman and tell him that, listen, so-and-so has been saying da-da-da-da-da-da, they're Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't buy cards and everything. And what's going to happen next? The community descends on you, grabs your property, end of story. And listen, if you're Jehovah's Witnesses in those days, you didn't have any rights. You'd be thrown into Maula or whatever prison out there and you can be there to rot. The nation, Malawi nation, owes an apology to Jehovah's Witnesses because we mistreated them. See, that's what greedy rulers, bad rules do. They bring oppression. Watch this guy. The moment he's told by his wife, right? Uh, his wife says to him, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which refused to give you for money, for Naboth is, is, is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And so for him, he's actually, do you think he's mourning for Naboth? No. No, 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 no. Naboth is nothing but a piece of land. See, that's what greed does. Greed reduces people to, to their material worth to you. And so, if he's dead, very good. I'm going to take that land. And Paul says, covetousness is an idol. Covetousness, greediness, wanting something that is not yours. Wanting something that's not God's plan for you or part of God's plan for you. Covetousness, greediness, that is idolatry. So watch the impunity. They can do whatever it is that they want to do. Oh, I thank God that, Lord, we are, li we, we are living in a, in a place that, yeah, we may be poor, but we have some judges in the, in, the, in the country that will want to see the way of justice. Hallelujah. Thank God for those five constitutional court justices that looked at the law and basically said, this is what we're going to do. Now, anybody is free to, you know, to, to appeal against that. It doesn't matter. But let the course of the law be done. I want you to watch greedy rulers. One, the idolatry of greedy rulers. Number two, the impunity of greedy rulers. Number three, the witness to greedy rulers. Verse number 17, let's look there. It says here, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Always watch, it's the word of the Lord, amen? I mean, God's technology is his word. The thing that God uses to bring about his purposes in the earth, it is his word. And so the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, there where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall, dog, shall dogs lick your own blood. Watch, watch. The word comes to Elijah. Elijah had been on the run from Ahab. 
Ahab wanted to kill him. Right? They go to Mount Carmel and God brings the fire down and Israel basically turns back to God. Now you'll have thought that Ahab had seen the power of God and so would have started following God. In fact, in the previous chapter, Ahab seems to be gravitating towards obeying God until this issue comes up. Right? Watch the boldness of Elijah. God tells him, here's what you're going to say. And Elijah goes. Now God may not call you to go before the president. To go before the party president. He may not call you to go there and, and, and be a witness. He may not. But you know, in the different levels that we live on in our lives, we have different authorities, isn't it? And at times we're intimidated by the authorities. Even when they do wrong things, we, we don't want to confront the authorities. All of us, we are called to confront truth. I mean, to, to confront the powers that are abusing, or, or, or those that are abusing the powers. And so here, watch what happens. The thing that Elijah has, that he uses to confront the king, is the word of God. The word of God has come. And with it comes the boldness. I'm sure um, Elijah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, even as he declares this. Now, I want you to watch this, because you see, Elijah is a very important person in the New Testament. In Malachi, right at the end, it says that in, before the coming of the great day of the Lord, the last day, that is, when Christ comes back in power, his, uh, God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. And he's going to raise up uh, an, an Elijah-like prophet. When you move on into the New Testament in Revelation, you hear of two prophets in Revelation chapter number 11. And one is like Elijah, and the other one is like Moses. And that's a picture of the church, the end-time church, and the power that the end-time church is going to have. And so if Elijah is in the Old Covenant, where the Holy Spirit only came on a few people for special occasions, you are in the New Covenant, where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all that believe, where you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it means then you have received the power to be a witness. It means then that it is you that is supposed to be bold and do what God has said. Oh, I'm waiting for the word of the Lord to come to me. No, the word of the Lord you already have. It's called the Bible. You already have the word of the Lord. Now, does God speak today? He does. He speaks according to his word. And so you already have the word of the Lord. You know what you're supposed to be doing. And so here is Elijah. He confronts Ahab. He goes to him. There must be a boldness in the heart of Elijah or a belief in God in the heart of Elijah for Elijah to go to Ahab. And guess the message that he's asked to bring, a message of judgment. See, the good news is only good news because there's bad news. The good news is only good news because there is bad news. The bad news is, listen, God is a holy God. You are unholy, you are unrighteousness, and God, in his righteousness, must judge all unrighteousness. That's just the way it works. A holy God cannot stand in right unrighteousness. A holy God cannot stand sin. In fact, for a holy God to stand sin, he would be unholy. For a just God to look at injustice and do nothing about injustice, he would be unjust. So the just God must deal with injustice and so comes this rebuke this curse that says the lord
have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Nabal, shall dogs lick up your own blood. In other words, it is done to you as you have done to others. It's the law of retaliation. You find it in Revelation 2. Whoever kills by the sword, by the sword shall he be killed. Amen. Whoever does this by whatever, the very same way it shall be given back to him. And Ahab said to Elijah, verse number 20, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I'll utterly burn you up and, and cut off from Ahab every male born or free in Israel. And I'll make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And Jezebel and of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. It's like you're gone. You think you are the law? Here's the one that is the law. Here's the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, everybody, every greedy ruler that, that thinks that they've gotten away with anything, one day they'll meet Jesus Christ. One day there is judgment. I tell you, for every sin that has been committed, there is going to be punishment for that sin. That's just how this holy God works. He is so holy, he cannot allow any unholiness. He can't. When there's unholiness, he must deal with it. So imagine Naboth and Ahab are doing stuff in some little corner of Israel, isn't it? But this is not a God who does not hear. He who created the ear, he hears. He knows what is going on in every corner. He knows whatever lie is said. He knows whatever is stolen without even the person stolen from knowing that something has been stolen from him. He knows. And he's going to bring judgment. And it's because he created this world. It's his world. And so everything that happens in this world is something that he wants to make sure goes according to his word. God must come in judgment. Oh, he has reserved a day for judgment. A day is coming. A day is coming when every eye shall see Jesus Christ returning. Even those that pierced him, they're going to see him coming. A judgment day is going to come. Because God is righteous. Isn't he a loving God? Yes. And because he's loving, he doesn't want to see unrighteousness. Because he's loving... He doesn't want to see unrighteousness. He judges unrighteousness. He judges injustice because he's loving. It's not like, oh, God is loving and so he must not judge. No. God must judge because he's loving. Because he must bring justice to the oppressed. Because for those that are crying out, they're crying out to God. God must intervene in their situation. Understand the bad news. Now, I want, I want you to watch number four. And we're finishing here. The grace for greedy rulers. Greedy rulers that repent are forgiven. Aren't you glad you're not God? Because I mean a guy like Ahab. Man, I, I, I don't know. With, with Ahab, I, I, I want to send the Terminator. I mean, I, I, want, I want somebody to, to just, you know... Kill him and, 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 and just be finished with him. Turn him into powder. Because, I mean, how can he do such things? I mean, come on. Don't, don't you feel like that too? 
I mean, there's the Christian consciousness that says, okay, no, but you know, you, you, you can't speak like that. But really, for the things that he has done, you kill somebody for his land and you have lots of land, you kill a person like that and then you, you set them up. No, no, it doesn't work like that. And so for this guy, you, I would say he deserves the worst punishment. But watch God. Verse number 25, we're told there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel had in, his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. So we're being told again that this, this guy is an evil guy. This guy is really bad. And his wife incited him. Now I want you to watch. His wife incited him. The cause was not his wife. Because some of us will say, ah, no, you know, he, he, our brother is okay, but our sister-in-law, uh-uh, your brother had it already in him. All that sister-in-law did was just incite it. <laughs> so you can't blame Jezebel. It's Ahab. He has that darkness inside him. All that Jezebel does is just fan it into flame. Watch the people around you. Watch people around you that fan into flame, into flame the darkness inside you. So she's the one that incited him, but he really wanted to do it. Now watch verse number 27. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. Something is happening here. See, when the word of God comes in judgment, amen, really it's supposed to bring an attitude of repentance in somebody. Amen. The word of God, even though it comes in judgment, it's supposed to incite an attitude of repentance inside that person. In fact, for the person that really understands what God is doing when they bring judgment on them, or they bring a word of judgment, they basically understand that, no, God wants me to mend my ways. See, that's the good news now. The bad news is, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. The bad news is, listen, you didn't even need to, to do sin or to sin to be a sinner. You were born a sinner. Hallelujah. See, that's something that people forget. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. Just you being, being born, you're a sinner. You're a sinner waiting to sin. Today we started off with Psalm 51. Isn't it? Started off with Psalm 51. And, and David say, he says in Psalm 51, in, in iniquity did my mother bury me. I was born in iniquity. Before I even cried and said anything, I was a sinner. It runs in my blood. I'm a descendant of Adam. And as long as I'm a descendant of Adam, I am a sinner waiting to sin. I know, you know, that's a good person. They don't drink, they don't gossip, they don't sleep around, they don't do this. Oh, they're a good sinner, but they're still going to hell. Good sinners. You know, in hell you find some good people. With manners, nice people, caring people. But we're all born in sin. And here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, God is going to wash them white as snow. Or you may be like Ahab, a murderer. Somebody who conspires, somebody who kills people. Genocidal. You may be like Ahab, but I tell you, when you repent from your heart, Here's what God says. 
Verse number 28, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? See, the problem with Ahab, he was not humbling himself before God. The problem with the sinner, the sinner does not humble himself or herself before God. The sinner still thinks she is in charge and that her life is her own. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I'll not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I'll bring the disaster upon his house. Watch grace there. This is what I was going to do to him. But because he has humbled himself, I'm not going to do that to him. Now I want you to watch. I want you to watch. God being a just God must punish all injustice. And so God is still going to punish the injustice. But the thing about it is, will Ahab still walk with God? Will Ahab still walk with God? Because if Ahab does not walk with God, then he finds himself in the very same situation that he started off with in judgment. And friend, as Christian witnesses, here's our responsibility. Those leaders, those bosses, those that are over us, that we know are doing things the wrong way, not according to justice and fairness, not according to the word of God. When we tell them the truth, God can work in their hearts. Grace can operate in their lives. And they can actually repent. See, this is a reminder that you and me are called to be witnesses. If there is a word in the New Testament that is used of Christians, it's also witness. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Who are we? What are we? We are witnesses. We are here to proclaim the truth. We are here to tell the world what God has said in his word. They will not like it. They will hate us. It doesn't matter. But we are here as witnesses. And we must be faithful and true witnesses. And it's always a joy when you see somebody that was going off the, onto the deep end, was going to destruction, and then they come back to be aligned with God. Somebody that was uh, drunk and whatever, now they come and walk with the Lord. I mean, it, it is always, always powerful to see such things. And you know, there are cases the world has given over, has given up on, and said, oh man, we don't know what to do with that guy. I have a cousin, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me bragging about him, but about three, four years ago, <laughs> My uncle said, listen, uh, your, your cousin is up there in the longer for a funeral. Uh, why doesn't he stay with you for a bit? Now, this is a guy that would go to the Ntonjani place, get drunk, black out, black out, and come home on a wheelbarrow. Two times he was in a sugar comatose. You, you, you know what a sugar comatose is? You drink too much and you, you, don't, you don't eat anything. And so he was kind of like, Asher to me. At first, I really didn't know what am I going to do with this guy. I mean, he's drunk and all that stuff. But he came, stayed with us, spent some time with uh, Brother Alan Tambo, about two, a month or something like that. You know, he gradually started changing. 
In about three months, he was back in school. He stayed here for like two years, finishing up his ABE. Went back to Blantar. Two years later, got married. Right now, a stable family man has got two kids. That's the gospel. That's the witnessing that he has called us to. And he has called us to do it, not just on the peer level, but even with those that are up there in the corridors of power. We are called to be witnesses. And God forgives that greedy ruler that is repentant. The ruler you don't like, do you pray for their repentance? Yeah, the one, the one you're always saying bad things about. That you don't want to share on kairosites on, on, on WhatsApp group. God has called us to pray for rulers, isn't it? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, he says, Pray as to go up to those that are in authority, that we may live peaceably. Amen. Here's what I want us to do. Let's, just for a minute, I'd like for you to pray for the rulers in this country. Amen. Hallelujah. You may not like them. It's okay. Let's stand up. You don't have to like them to pray for them, do you? You don't have to like them. Right? So who are our rulers? Well, the president and his cabinet, the hall of government. Who are our rulers? The MPs, the speaker, the house of parliament. Those are our rulers, isn't it? We pray for the, 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 the judiciary, the judges. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.